Come on, church, if you love Jesus, somebody put your hands together this morning. Come on, from the front to the back, make some noise for the Lord. Anybody glad to be here? Uh, what a great day it is. The Bible says this is the day the Lord has made, so we will be glad and rejoice in it. And it is an honor to have all of you uh, with us this morning. As a matter of fact, we're kicking off a brand new series. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a moment. But we always love to take a moment and allow me the opportunity to look at the cameras in the back of the room and say a great big hello to our extended family. As many of you know, we are one church in two locations. So we have our church family right here in the South Metro Atlanta area and then 702 miles north of here just outside of Washington, D.C. in Germantown, Maryland is our Go Church family. So can we welcome them this morning? Come on, love them, church. Let them know you love them. Come on, one big family. And that's the way the family of God works, and so we're so honored. And then, of course, today is a special day as we honor all of our veterans, our veterans in the room, our veterans online, our veterans at Go Church. You know, every Sunday we always give honor to our brave military men and women, but today is a very special day. And so uh, if you'll allow me just a moment, if you have served in the military, and I want to do this at both campuses, so if you've served in the military, and I don't want to list off the different branches of military because I don't want to leave anybody out and someone feel offended, if you have just served in the military, would you stand for just a moment? Come on, hold your applause for a second. Both campuses, I want you to stand if you have served in the military. Now, ladies and gentlemen, can we applaud all of these incredible men and women? Come on, both campuses. Come on, this should be an eruption of applause this morning. Come on. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. And if you are currently serving, we honor you. We pray for you. Thank you so much. You know, America is not perfect, but this is still the greatest land on the face of the planet. Come on. And so we're just so honored. So today, I want all of you to go an extra mile today and tomorrow. If you go out to eat, if you're having a, a barbecue, whatever, whatever your plans are, just make sure if you know a veteran that you salute them respectfully, you honor them, you love on them, you buy them some coffee, come on, pay for their lunch. Because you and I, we have freedoms because someone put their life on the line. Come on. They put their life on the line for you and I. So thank you again online in both campuses. Uh, for, for taking the time to honor our veterans. Well, we're, we're kicking off a new series. It's just a, a mini-series. Uh, it, it'll just be a couple of weeks long leading up to our, our Thanksgiving break here. And, uh, and the Lord really kind of led me in this direction to talk about this idea called the blessed life. The blessed life. On the count of three, both campuses, I want you to say the title of the series aloud with me. Ready? One, two, three. The blessed life. Now, now, society will tell us, the world tells us that the best life is a rich life. That the blessed life is a rich life. That you, you've, got, you've got a lot of money. You know, you've, you've got a nice house. You drive, you drive a nice car. And so if you want the best life, then you have to have a rich life. Uh, and some of you know people like this, but there are a lot of rich people that are not living their best life. They're struggling. Culture will tell us, society will tell us that the best life is a successful life. That you climb the corporate ladder. That you accomplish all of your, you know, uh, entrepreneurial goals or business desires. That you become the CEO or the CFO of whatever company and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not telling you not to pursue that. But society will tell you that the best life is if you are successful in this life. And, and this word success is, is a tricky word to truly define. 
It's a tough word to really define. Uh, Our word will tell us that the best life is a popular life. That depending on how many friends you have on Facebook, come on now. Depending how many likes you get on Instagram, depending, watch this, how many votes you get in an election, then if you're popular, then you must be living the best life. Culture will tell us that the best life is a powerful life. That you are the boss. You get to tell people what to do. That you are the man of your house. Come on now. But the truth is, and this is the heart of scripture, is that the best life is a blessed life. Come on, give me a good amen right there. Both campuses, show of hands, how many of you would say that you, you live a blessed life? Come on, let me see your hands if you say you live a blessed life. If, if you're on the fence about this, if you're a little unsure, if you're living a blessed life, let me put it into perspective for you. There are over 3 billion people in our world today, right now, that live on $2 or less every single day. We're blessed. Come on, one more time. How many of you are blessed? Show me your hands, both campuses. Yeah, we are truly blessed. Now, the challenge is understanding is that the blessed life is more than just about how much money you have. And I hope that over the next couple of weeks, I, I can prove that to you. And when you, when you jump into the Bible, whether you're a believer or not, whether you're a Christian or not, if you pick up Scripture, the Scripture is not void of resources on teaching us how to obtain this blessed life. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, uh, verse number, chapter 20, verse number 35, uh, Jesus is talking, these are the words of Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, in everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the who? The weak. That, that's, our, that's our number one responsibility as, as a Christian, is to help those who are less fortunate, to help those that are weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, that Jesus said this, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, as, as a child, come on, one of our favorite holidays was either our birthday or Christmas. Because on those days, we get to receive. But as we mature and as we grow, we recognize this truth that Jesus is saying to us. That it really is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Let's get some crowd participation, both campuses. I'm counting to three. I want you to read these highlighted yellow words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Ready? One, two, three. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, here's the challenge for most of us. For many of us, one of the greatest challenges that we face is that we think that that being more blessed means that we get more things. That that we determine the level of our blessing based on the amount of stuff that we have. And that, that's, that's very dangerous because the reality of truly experiencing this, this blessed life is understanding that, that it's not about us getting more, it really is about us giving more. Let me give you a driving thought for this mini-series that we're doing called The Blessed Life. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because this is the truth and this is the heart of these next couple of conversations. The key to a blessed life is a heart of generosity. If, If you want to be more blessed, then you must become more 
generous. Let me say that last part again. If you want to be more blessed, then you have to become more generous. And I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, man, I invited a friend to this church today, and now you're talking about money. I am. But I'm talking more than just about money. I'm talking about the discipline of generosity. That, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. But we live in a culture that goes against that truth. You don't believe me? Let me prove it to you. It's all about us getting and gaining and accumulating stuff. That's why they call them iPads i pods i want one come on somebody because culture teaches us it's about you 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 but when we look at the life of jesus and what he says it's not about us it's about what we can give away and he demonstrated that very principle on the cross at calvary look at proverbs chapter number 11 two verses of scripture uh this is a a a beautiful couple of verses that that teach us this very discipline it says, one person gives freely. Now, you would imagine that the person that is just freely giving would, would be without. That if you're just giving away, giving away, giving away, then at some point there would be nothing let, left to give. But, but look at the outcome of this heart of generosity. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. How, how does that work? I'm telling you, in God's economy, it works. That the person who gives freely they get even more. And watch this. It goes on. It says, another withholds unduly. Meaning, meaning they could give. That they could give of their time. They could give of their talents. They could give of their financial resources. But they choose not to give. They choose not to operate in this discipline of generosity. And look at their outcome. But they come to poverty. So, so you're telling me that the person that gives freely gets more and the person that holds on gets less? Yeah. And then if you want to know what the blessed life is all about, it's in verse 25. It summarizes this whole idea. A generous person will prosper. And whoever refreshes others will also be refreshed. Whoever blesses others will also be blessed. I'm telling you, church, the key to a blessed life always starts with a generous heart. Let me show you another uh, couple verses of scripture. Uh, it's some of my favorite dealing around the topic of generosity. It comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to show you verse 6, 7, 8, and then we'll skip to verse 11. Uh, this is what the apostle Paul says. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, one fun fact about me that you may not know is that my oldest brother is a farmer. That's right. Now, he doesn't wear skinny jeans when he farms. Come on, like I wear skinny jeans when I preach. But we are cut from the same cloth. The Lord just delivered me from farming. He works hard, incredibly hard. Uh, you know, farming is an unpredictable uh, responsibility because of all of the varying elements that come. But, but one principle is truth, and any farmer will tell you this. If you only plant a few seeds in the ground, you can expect a small harvest. And the farmer will tell you, but, but if you put a lot of seeds in the ground, you can expect a bigger harvest. Come on, church. 
Watch verse 7. So, so here's what Paul says. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not what? Not reluctantly. And, and not under compulsion. Now, I can't do anything about your, you know, reluctant spirit to give. But I promise you this. At our church, at both campuses, I'm not going to force you to give. I'm not going to obligate you to give money or to serve or, or to give of your time. That's between you and the Lord. You'll never, you'll never find that guilt trip here. But here's what Scripture says, and you have to decide in your heart if this is true or not. But my Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. Not one that pouts about giving. Not one that complains about giving. Not one that huffs and puffs about the responsibility to give. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm telling you, this is one of the reasons that I, I love the Old Testament so much because this word cheerful literally means hilarious. It, mean, it means laughter. When's the last time you gave some finances or you gave of your time or you invested your talents or, or you blessed your neighbor or you went out of your way to, to be generous to somebody else and you were like, ha, 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 that was fun. <laughs> Woo! And in the Old Testament, you know what they did? They were so excited about the responsibility to give, they would throw parties around their giving. They, they would throw feasts and banquets to celebrate their generosity. When's the last time we threw a party about what we just gave away? Now look at the next verse. It's verse number eight. It says this, and God is able, here it is, to bless you abundantly. Come on, on the count of three, both campuses say this word abundantly. One, two, three, abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you want, See, that's the problem. The blessed life is not about what we want. It's knowing that God shall supply all of our needs. Come on, give me a good amen right there. Having all that you need, you will abound. Come on, that's good. You will abound in every good work. Now, let's skip to verse number 11. Come on, because I'm going to show you something today I think that you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate as we walk through this together. Watch verse, verse 11. Let me go back one. I think I skipped it. Here we go. Maybe it's not there. It's okay. I got it right here. It says it like this. And you, hold on. There it is. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous when? On every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in happy holidays. Happy holidays. It will result in thanksgiving to God. And I'm just telling you, let me get off on my soapbox and then I'll jump right off as soon as I can. But I don't, I don't think that we operate in thanksgiving enough. You know, thank, thanksgiving is so much more than just a one time in a calendar year. Our, our, our thanksgiving should turn into thanksgiving. Because when we recognize that we live the blessed life that God has blessed us, I want you to see this as you will be enriched in every way. In every way. Not just money. Because listen to me. If you limit the blessings of God just to financial provision, you will underestimate the blessings of God. G giving isn't so that you get more money. No, it says you will be enriched in every single way. I mean, God can bless you financially, come on, because he's a generous God, but he could also bless your family. Come 
He could bless your business. Uh, he could bless your, your marriage. He could bless your health. He, he, could bless, he could bless your studies and academics. God could put favor on your life. In every way, when you operate in generosity is the point that I'm trying to make. God will enrich you in every way possible. But instead, we withhold. We withhold. And we, we are timid and afraid to try the discipline of generosity. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But, but here, here's a question that I have to ask you. If we know this, and because you've amened me quite a few times. Yeah, we know that it's more blessed to give than receive. Amen. Then why are so few people generous? Come on, preacher, tell it. Yeah, I did, and you said amen. But statistically, why are so few people generous? I want, I want to try to answer that today and, and next week. I can already tell you the time. Time won't allow me to get to all of these. But, but I want to look at the myths, the mistakes, and the mindsets of generosity. The time is only going to let me get to a few myths and mistakes, and then next week we'll see how much you love this message by the attendance next Sunday. All right? Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the mindsets uh, of generosity. But I'm telling you if, you, if you could if you could get in alignment with the discipline of generosity, I'm telling you, church, the lid will come off of your family and off of your life and off of everything that your hands touch, and the blessings of God will be upon that. Come on, give me a good amen if you believe it. Let me give you a myth. Myth number one is this, and I, there's a ton of myths. I'm going to give you three. Watch this. Myth number one is this. Only people with money should give. This is a myth, and a lot of people believe this, that only people who have money, they should give. And I hear it all the time. You Just let Rob give, because with a name like Rob, he should be loaded. Come on, that's a dad joke. That's funny right there. Help them, neighbors. Rob, get it? Rob, Anyway. Let, let them give. And I, and I hear this all the time. Well, if I had their kind of money, if I, if, I, if I had that kind of job, if I drove that kind of car, yeah, I'd be so generous. I'd give. I'd tithe. I'd help people. I, I, you've, come on, church. You've said it. If I win the lottery... Some of y'all, a couple weeks ago, when that mega millions was mega billions, you were prophesying over your lottery ticket. Come on, in the name above all names, which is the name of Jesus. If you let me win, I promise thee, oh, you went all King James, the old God in heaven, right? No, come on. And then you lost. I'm telling you, man. People say only people with money should give, and then they say if I had, if I had money like they had, I, I would be more generous. Let me say two things to you. Number one, no, you wouldn't. You, you would not because if you can't be faithful with what you have right now, what makes you think that you'll be faithful when God gives you more? You, you can't say, if I had money like that, I promise you I'd be faithful. God says, no, I'm testing you with what I'm giving you now to see if you'll be faithful. The second thing that I want to say to you, and I want you to hear my heart behind this, I don't know if you'll ever have money like they do, whoever they are, if you aren't generous to begin with. Because it is the heart of generous people that move the heart of God. And see, the problem is when it comes to the discipline of generosity, we tend to think that it's about the amount of money that we're supposed to be giving. And it's never about the amount of money. It's always about the amount of sacrifice. I'll, I'll say this in a moment. I want to get ahead of myself. But God doesn't care about how much money you give. He cares about your heart. 
And Jesus absolutely destroyed this myth that only people with money should give in Luke chapter 21. Because in Luke 21, he comes across this widow woman who had nothing. She had no money. And scripture says in verse number one of Luke 21, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts into the collection box. So, so Rob and his family, they were giving. And watch this. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small copper coins. Another translation says two mites. Uh, I guess, and I don't know the exact value, but we would think of it as a penny or a nickel or a dime or a quarter. I mean, I mean, it was worthless. It couldn't, it couldn't buy anything. It couldn't help anything. It couldn't produce anything. But watch what he says. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them. Watch this. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, she's given everything. See, watch this, and I want you to hear this. It's not about the amount of money. It's about the amount of sacrifice. Are you willing to say, God, I, I don't have the kind of money they have, again, whoever they are, but I promise you one thing, that I understand that every good and perfect gift comes from you, and so I will position myself to simply be faithful with what you've given me because I want you to see that I will provide a sacrifice Come on, this is a good place just to put your hands together and give Jesus some praise. Come on. So this first myth is only the rich people should give. Here's a second myth. I wish I had time to stay on all of these a little longer, but here's the second myth. I have to give. I have to give. No, you don't. Matter of fact, you you don't have to do anything. You get to decide. Well, I, I, I have to give. You need to, you need to hear something, okay? Um, your salvation in Christ Jesus cannot be purchased. You and I can't buy a ticket to heaven. So, so your generosity, I, I don't think if, you, if you're reluctant to be generous or you decide not to be generous and not to give and you decide to hold on to your money because it's mine, it's all mine. Anybody seen Nemo? Come on, anybody seen mine, 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 those seagulls? That's the mentality that all of us have. This is mine. I'm going to hold on to it. I, I, I don't know that your generosity will keep you in or out of heaven. I don't know if you not being generous will keep you from heaven what I do know is this is that when you're generous it gets heaven into you see generosity may not be able to save you but you're being generous might save somebody else I ought to get a better amen right there than I just did you you don't you don't have to give and I know that for, for many of you at, at both campuses, you have, you have different backgrounds of, of religion and church experience and faith. And, and we've all come together as kind of like a golden corral of Christians. Here we are. We're like a big buffet of Christians. We come from all different walks of life and we have different experiences, some good, some not so good. And for, for some of you, you're here today at both of our campuses and, and you come in with, with this heaviness about this idea of generosity, uh, and I'll be careful here because I'm not responsible for any other pastor shepherds their people, but there are some church leaders that will pressure you to give. That they will. Come on, you've seen it even on Christian TV. That there are, there are some churches that will use gimmicks 
around this idea of generosity. And there are some pastors that will guilt trip you into giving. But I've come to just to set the record straight. You do not have to give. You don't. And somebody needs to tell you this. So I guess it's going to be me today. God does not need your money. He doesn't need it. Uh, Psalm 50 says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And the old school Pentecostal preacher would say it like this. And he owns them their hills too. Come on now. This is God. God does not need our money. And, and, oh, and neither does the church. Because the church is built on Jesus Christ, which is the rock. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This church, both of our campuses, and the, 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 the church with Big C globally is not built on any one individual's bank account. It's built on Jesus. So, so you, don't, you don't have to give. You can just come. And enjoy all that you get to enjoy and not participate in the discipline of generosity. You're not hurting us. You're hurting you. Come on. Give me an amen right there. This should be liberating for somebody because you lived under the guilt all of these years that I got to give. I got to give. I got to give. I want to move that mentality from I have to to I get to. I want you to walk in this I get to be a part of what God's doing around the globe. Come on, in these last days. Uh, what, watch what the Apostle Paul, everybody good? All right, watch what the Apostle Paul shared from his experience in Macedonia. I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 8, a uh, couple of verses of Scripture. Paul says, he's talking about, about the people in this region. He says, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Nobody obligated them. Nobody forced them. No, nobody handcuffed them. Nobody, they didn't say to the ushers, lock the doors. Nobody leaves until they give some money. No, watch this. I want you to see verse 4. He says, they begged us. What? I want a pastor at church like that. Hey, Pastor JC, can we take up two or three offerings? Well, sure we can. That'll be fun. They begged us again and again. Watch this. For the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. See, the, the people of Macedonia, they saw the discipline of generosity as a privilege to give. They, they were freely giving out of their own desire. Come on. They, they begged somebody to take their money. They didn't pretend like they were on their phone when the offering baskets came by. They didn't get up and go to the bathroom during the worship experience so that they could miss that moment. No, they begged somebody to take their money. And they got more excited about giving in the offering than they did any other part of the worship experience. And watch this. And, because, and you need to hear this. And if you're taking notes, write this down. It's not on this fancy TV, but it needs to make it into your journal. And because their hearts were open, then their hands were open. When their hearts were open, then their hands were open. And they gave not because they had to. They gave because they wanted to. And this is a heart matter. It's Matthew 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I said this a moment ago, and I say it on repeat. 
all the time. You don't have to give. You get to give. Generosity is voluntary. Generosity is a privilege. And I wish that you would try it. Because when you are generous, I'm telling you, something supernatural happens in your life. When you are generous, something supernatural happens in your marriage, in your household, in your job. Here's what I need. I need a couple hundred people between both campuses that are faithful in the discipline of generosity to testify right here that when you give, God does something miraculous. Come on, who believes that? Come on. When you give, because it's better to give than it is to receive. Let me give you the third myth. And this might be the biggest myth of all of them. So, so nobody leave. Everybody hang in there. We got just a few more minutes. Watch this. Myth number three, the church just wants my money. I hear this, I hear this overwhelmingly too often. Well, yeah, the church just wants my money. You know, and I can't fault people. And again, I'll, I'll tread lightly here and carefully here. But I can't fault people for being a tad bit skeptical. At times, because of the way that, again, uh, the church, Big C Globally, has, has handled finances. I pray, my staff will tell you, our elders board, our finance committees at both campuses, my wife will tell you that if I pray anything, I pray that God would allow us to be good stewards of his resources so that we could advance the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, this idea that the church just wants your money, that's not true either. That's not true. At least not this church, not our campuses. What is true? Let's just, let's just call it what it is. What is true? Yes, we take up an offering. Every week. Every week we, we take up an offering. And yes, I believe you should be giving. Not, not because I want your money, but because the Bible says that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And I want you to live the blessed life. Watch this. Yes, when you give. Those finances help us move the vision of the church forward. But I promise you, not one time in all the years that God has allowed me to pastor have I ever taken up an offering because I want something from you. Never have I done that. And never, ever will I do that. Every time we stand up here and we move forward in a time of giving... We call it generosity through giving. It's not because we want something from you. And I'm telling you, and I want you to hear my heart, it's because God has something for you. Amen. He's got something for you. I don't want something from you. It's God's got something for you. The church doesn't just want your money. Come on. Some of you have never given, and guess what? We're still growing. We're still growing. Ministry still happening, both campuses. Lost people are getting saved. Um, people are getting baptized in water. At, at, at our kids' ministry at both campuses, they're having to pull out extra chairs because of all the children that are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The church doesn't just want your money. No, no, no. But I pray that you would want to be a part of all of those stories because one day when we all get to heaven... Come on, when we all get to heaven, I want to be able to look and see how my generosity made an eternal impact in the lives of people. Come on, anybody with me on that? Let me, let me sit here for a couple more minutes, okay? And we'll move on to, to a couple more thoughts I have, and then I'll let you go. We'll, un we'll unlock the doors. Ushers will unlock the doors. Can we just be real for a second? 
Because this is important, because we get this all the time. Um, not too long ago, we got an email, uh, and again, it is what it is, and I understand the, understand the skepticism at, at times, but we got an email saying, love the church, love the music, but why did you have to ask for money? Watch this. So, in, in the email, it said, you, the guy that was up there, and it, it wasn't me, <laughs> sounded like a used car salesman. Okay, I, you know what? I get that, but can we be honest? Every day, everywhere you go, they ask you for money. Every day, everywhere you go, you pay somebody money, but not the church. Watch this. Hold on. This building at both campuses are open all throughout the week. Life uh, experiences, life transformation ministry to the community is happening at both of our campuses. And, and when you come on a Sunday, uh, there, there's no price of admission. There's no, there's no sales tax. And I'm telling you, I have preached some doozies of sermons, and I should have charged y'all. Come on now. They've been that good. Yeah, you need to say amen, at least my wife. I should have said that was so good, it'll be $25, all right, and plus a tip. We don't do that. There is, no, there is no sales tax. There is no point of sale. And yet, whenever we come to the moment where we take up the offering, you can at times almost hear the people, here we go again, taking up money. I don't know why I sounded like I was from like Alabama, but I did. <laughs> and people huff and puff, but I want you to see this. And I'm being honest with you. In all of my years of full-time ministry, I have never, ever, not once that, that my memory can recall, not once have I ever heard a complaint from someone that is actually giving. Never. The complaints that we always get are from people that aren't giving. Because the people that are giving... They understand this principle that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. The complaints that we get are just simply from people that have not tested God in this. And they have this mindset that the church just wants my money. So let me just clear the air, and this should help you. I, I don't want your money. Keep it. Keep it. You do with your money what you need to do. For the rest of us, that we want to see God move around this community, around our counties, around our country, in our land, then God will use what you decide to give, and he will multiply it. Come on. Press down, shaken together, running over. Come on. And we will, we will be able to experience the blessed life. Did you know? The church just wants my money. No, no, no. Did you know that 75%... And this is on the safe side, this estimate. 75% of people that attend a church, they don't give to their church. 75%. Look down your row. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't do that. Either campus, do not do that. And I, I just think, I think to myself so often, watch this. If everyone just did a little together, man, we could do a whole lot. If we all just did a little, then collectively what we could do, again, in our cities, in our counties, in our states, come on, around the world, we could reach people for Jesus. We could feed hungry people. Come on, we could take care of widows and orphans. We could have ministry to foster children. We, we could meet the needs within our communities. If everybody just did a little, together we could do a lot. The church doesn't just want your money. 
Jesus. We don't want something from you. God has something for you. Come on, one more time. Can you put your hands together real quick? Here we go. All right, watch this. So we talked about the myths of generosity. Let me talk about the mistakes of generosity. Mistake number one is this. We give what is last or we give what is left instead of what is first. We give what's left instead of what's first. And you need to know something about God. God is not interested in your leftovers. God's, God is not interested in your leftovers. God, in every area of your life, and it's interesting that in the ministry of Jesus, he talked more about money than he did about faith, than he did about prayer, than he did about anything else. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And money is the number one indicator of the spiritual condition of your life. God's not interested in your leftovers. God wants to be the number one priority in your life. And if you're unsure of where God sits on that level of priority, then print off your last three months' bank statements. And you can determine right there where God is on the level of priority. And here, here, here I'm, not, I'm not preaching to you something that Kimberly and I don't practice. Whenever Kimberly and I get paid, the first thing we do, the very first thing we do, before I pay my mortgage payment, before I pay a car payment, before I pay a cell phone bill, before I feed my children, I will make them spit out the Chick-fil-A chicken nugget if we ain't paid our tithe. Spit that waffle fry out in Jesus' name. Text to give. Now eat it. That's how this works. Come on. Before, before we do anything, before we do anything, we give to God first. We give to God first. Why? Why, why do we give to God first? Let me tell you why. Because when I give my tithe first, it requires faith. It says, God, I'm going to give you first, and now I'm trusting you that we'll meet the need to everything else. When we give to God last or when we give to him what's left after the bills are paid, after the responsibilities are taken care of, and now you say, okay, God, now here's your gift. There's no faith in that. There's no faith in that. Watch this. God wants our best and God wants our first. It's what Moses said back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 23. Uh, he said it like this. Uh, he, said, he said, as you harvest your crops, bring the, the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the what? First harvest to the house of the Lord your God. It's important to understand that the first fruits is a biblical principle that's practiced and emphasized all throughout the Bible. Now, fruit in our modern-day context can be understood to be income, wealth, or finances. And it begins in the origins of the Bible. You can go all the way back to Genesis and Genesis chapter 4 with Abel providing a first fruit offering. The first of his, of his cattle and, and his, his sheep and all of that. And just like we read about in Exodus, you can see Moses talking about the first harvest. Uh, you, you can go into the New Testament all throughout the teachings of the Apostle Paul and the importance of this giving God first and not what's left. And then, and then Solomon, who's considered to be the wisest man who ever lived, he said in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 9 and 10, he said, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. And then watch the promise. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. What? That's the life that I want to live. 
then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Look, give God to God first, not what's left. And I'm telling you, watch the supernatural things that happen in your life. Because God wants the first and he wants the best. He doesn't want the leftovers. Watch this. The second, the second mistake that we make is this, is that we, we often wait to give. We wait to give. Now, now, this is a byproduct of buying into that first myth that we talked about, that only uh, people who have money should give. So, so we wait to give. Well, once I get my finances in order, once my debt's paid off, once all, all the things are in line, you know, once I get the credit card bill down, then, then I'll give. Well, let me say this again. If we can't be faithful with what we have now, what makes us think that we'll be faithful when God gives us more? So waiting until you're financially sound to give isn't acting in faith. God wants you to give now so that you can watch what he can do. As a matter of fact, it's Malachi 3.10. Here's what it says. It says, bring. That, that, that's a verb. It's an action. It implies now. It doesn't say, wait until your finances are in order, then bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. It says, right, right now. Bring it into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. And watch what he says. Test me in this. Don't, you don't have to test the church. You don't, don't test Pastor JC. Come on, even if you're visiting and, and you attend another church, it's not about testing them. It's about testing God. God's the one that provides the increase. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And watch what he says. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates. Come on of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The discipline of generosity is a test. And so many Christians are failing. We're failing the test. You're, you're waiting to give until you're ready. Come on. That's not how this works. And I can, I can hear some of you out there, well, well, I, I can't give today because I'm in debt. Let me tell you from personal experience. From personal experience. You want to get out of debt? The best way to get out of debt is to give your way out of debt. I'm telling you from personal experience. When Kimberly and I graduated college, we had uh, school debt. We had some medical debt. You know, uh, we, we weren't very wise in our early years of being married. And we had too much car payments. And it was overwhelming. We were suffocating ourselves. Every month, Kimberly wanted new shoes every week. It was just overwhelming. Some things haven't changed. But I'll tell you what, what did change is that instead of us feeling like we were climbing out of a hole, we didn't wait to start giving. We said, okay, God, we need to re-evaluate our lives, get a new perspective. We're going to put you first. I'm not going to wait. We're going to put you first. And I'm telling you that within just a few short years, we were debt free. How, how did that work? Because the banker would tell you, take all that money and put it, put it to the debt. No, no, no. There's just something with God. I hear some of you saying, well, well, I, I can't give. I need to wait because I can't afford it. You can't afford not to give. And respectfully, here's how I know it. Because your way is not working. You're running into a wall over and over again. I'm telling you, you can't afford not to give. Well, I need to wait to give because I don't have any surplus. There's, there's no margin. There, you know, there, there's no extra cash on hand. Again, you're not giving God what's left. You're giving God what's first. His word says this, and then, and then I'll give you one more thought, and I'll pray we'll be done. 
when you're faithful in the small things, He'll make you rulers over much. Don't wait. Test Him in this, says the Lord. And watch what God does. And then here's a third thought, and I'll pray for you when we'll be done. Mistake number three. We trust ourselves more than we trust God. I got to do this fast. Um, we consider the tithe, the, the biblical standard of tithing to be 10%. Okay? That, and by the way, that's the minimum. And somebody, one time they told me, well, you know, the tithe is Old Testament, 10%. That's Old Testament. I said, actually, you're right. In the New Testament, Jesus told us to sell everything. <laughs> to get rid of all of it. To take up our cross to follow him. You decide. <laughs> they gave 10% that day, praise the Lord. <laughs> what happens, though, is this. If we look just, just standard, okay, we say, I can do more with 100% of what I have than if I give God 10% and I'm responsible with what's left. That's logical. In our minds, that makes sense. I can do more with 100% then if I have to give 10% away and I've only got 90%, that, that, makes, that makes sense here on earth. But I'm telling you that that mindset is a mistake because you cannot leave God out of this equation. It's not about the amount of money. It's about the heart. And when you come into alignment with that, something supernatural changes. And all of this, all of this uh, can be reduced to one word, and the word is faith. It's faith. Write this last thought down. You ready? Faith leads to obedience. And obedience leads to abundance. It starts with faith. Faith leads to obedience. A simple yes. I'll try it. I'll give it a shot. I'm going to test you, Lord, in this. And that obedience is what leads to abundance. Hear me. Your financial breakthrough starts with faith. Your physical breakthrough starts with faith. The breakthrough in your marriage starts with faith. The breakthrough with your children starts with faith. The breakthrough on the job site starts with faith. And faith leads to obedience, and obedience leads to abundance. Come on, can you put your hands together this morning, both campuses? Come on. Come on, just a little bit louder for the Lord. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. So again, we'll, we'll determine how... Uh, well received this message is by next Sunday because next Sunday I'm going to talk about the mindsets of generosity the mindsets of generosity Be because some of us we, we need a new perspective because I, I could almost tell you if, st if stats are true that at both of our campuses there are too many people that have the mindset of I've got to live paycheck to paycheck and I believe God wants to change that God wants to challenge that so we'll talk about that next week let me pray for you today Father we love you I love your word. I thank you, God, that you allow us to live a blessed life. And I'm not going to second guess anything I said or didn't say. I'm going to trust you in my times of prayer and preparation and fasting that what you've laid on my heart to share with your people would be liberating for many, that there would be freedom today to know that all you care about is our heart. All you care about is, is faith and us being obedient. It's not about how much money we give or don't give. It's just a matter of the heart. And I pray for your people because I want them to walk in freedom. In freedom.
I want them to have financial margin so that they can be a blessing to their neighbors and coworkers and people that are in need. God, you are not a God of lack. You're a God of more than enough. And I just pray that your people would test you in this. It's not about this local church. Yes, there's a vision. Yes, there's financial responsibility. But today's message is about your people. It's about my family making sure that we put you as a priority. And then we watch you do what only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.